Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that fingers and toes with nerve damage don't wrinkle when you put them in water for a long time. And that made scientists suspect that we evolved to have our digits wrinkle so that we might have a better grip in wet environments. But then other studies later proved that that theory was wrong. Uh, There still isn't really a known reason for finger and toe wrinkling. It just seems to be uh, a mystery of life. Although I like the idea that when my hands are wet, I could climb glass like a gecko. Like that's always been a, a fantasy of mine. It's just not a fantasy that's ever come true. So if you have the technology to do that, please let me know. I'm down for that. That's real biohacking. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Before we get into the details about today's guests, I want to make a special mention to Joseph Tucker, who's 11 from Santa Clarita, California, and just sent me this long letter about what he's doing to make himself bulletproof and to be more resilient. I love hearing that stuff because... Honestly, the earlier you start, the easier it is and the less remedial work you have to do. So, uh, Joseph, thanks for email. Actually, that stuff really inspires me. And I hope you can make it to the conference because you got a free ticket, buddy. Now, today's guest 
is founder of the Underground Strength Gym, the creator of the Underground Strength Coach Certification. He's trained hundreds of athletes ranging from youth level to Olympic level. He's a consultant to a bunch of Division I wrestling teams, and he's helped tens of thousands of men and women get better strength, not just like physical strength, but we're talking about body strength, mind strength, and just resilience. And as you know, Bulletproof is really, at the end of the day, all about resilience. You want to perform better, the first and really only thing you have to do is learn how to be more resilient. Everything else is just window dressing on top of a core that's resilient and can take what the world brings it and then bounce back. The other thing that's cool about Zach, his best deadlift was 545 pounds, which is like a lot. And... <laughs> On top of that, Zach's a former elementary school teacher. And Zach, by the way, I should say, this is Zach Evanish. In case you haven't guessed already from that introduction, Zach, welcome to the show. Awesome. This is real honor and uh, been using a lot of your products for a while. It's just, it's awesome. This is really my pleasure. And I know a lot of people say it's an honor, but uh, it, re- it truly is. I'm really excited. Hey, likewise, I, I really respect uh, teachers. And I I taught at the University of California at a higher level for five years. I ran the engineering program there uh, in Silicon Valley. And I've done junior achievement, which is when you go and you teach kids at different ages just for like one day a week or for an hour a week. But you go and you give lectures and you think it's hard to talk to like an audience full of executives or, you know, a group of CrossFitters in Miami uh, at Wadapalooza, you know, and you're there and you just want to talk. But try getting like eighth graders or fifth graders, it's more intimidating. And you can throw Snickers bars at their heads and then you're like giving them bad food and it still doesn't make them pay attention. So like you did this for years, like that's the ultimate resilience. So hats off for that. Yeah, that's, those are some of really the, the most fun times I ever had. That I always tell people, I say I'm always a teacher, even though I'm no longer teaching in the schools, um, I'm always a teacher. And I've, like you, had experience um, working at the university level and I was just at Lehigh University, another engineering school. <laughs> so uh, it's great. You know, I love being I love being around people and then teaching them in ways that make them more powerful to live a stronger life. To me, that's what it's all about. That that's what motivates me. Now, you're a, a you know, you've got that experience, but you've also been kind of your own biohacker since you were a teenager, which is just kind of cool. So you. You placed first, second in your first three bodybuilding shows when you were still a teenager, and you won Mr. or Mr. Teenage Israel in 1994. Yep. So, like, yes. you've kind of been like, I'm a strong guy forever. And I've spent some time traveling in Southeast Asia and met a whole bunch of Israelis. And, and as a general rule, the dudes I met were pretty hardcore. <laughs> like, there were a lot of really fit guys. Uh, I'm like, that guy can kick my ass without even thinking twice about it. Uh, so you're basically competing against a, a pretty a, a pretty tough group, I would say, in order to, to do that. What made you so driven as as a teenager to just outperform like that? I mean, a, a lot of a lot of kids don't do that. Right. I uh, kind of grew up in a house where, you know, we uh, immigrated to the country when I was just shy of a year old, and uh, I always remember my parents working. I'd wake up when it was time for school; they'd be gone. Uh, they didn't come home usually till the late afternoon, late evening. And uh, my dad, you know, we didn't really have the video games and all that. He always took us outside. That was like our thing, taking us outdoors. And as I started getting older, getting closer to my teenage years, my older brother, 
started getting pretty serious into working out. He would run our dog three times a day, and he started kind of acquiring weightlifting equipment. This is back in the day of Soloflex commercials on TV. <laughs> And um, he, it was amazing to see how the uh, commercials and how somebody's appearance would inspire you and make you want to go out and buy those things. So I was reading all the magazines that he would bring home. And back then, this is the time where Arnold Schwarzenegger was the premier action hero. So the magazines were primarily about appearance. They were all about how you look. So the training back in the day that was featured in these magazines had nothing to do truly with performance. There was nothing that said, this is what's going to help you run faster, jump higher, be a better athlete. It was all about looking better. So I followed all the information in those magazines. And what inspired me truly was uh, I was the weakest kid in the neighborhood. If there was guys arm wrestling or wrestling, I was the known loser. And that really fired me up. And I remember the summer before seventh grade, after losing to every kid doing the arm wrestling, I said, I need to get stronger. So I went home that night. It's like nine at night. And I'm going to set. I'm going to do as many push-ups as I can every night. And I was only able to do two. And I said to myself, this is pathetic. I could do two push-ups. <laughs> so I came up with an idea in my head that all I need to do is I got to get to 20 push-ups. And I added one push-up a day. It took me literally a few seconds every day to do my push-ups. Two push-ups became three, became four. 10, 15, 20. I remember once I was able to do more than 20 push-ups, simply by adding one a day, I started beating kids in arm wrestling. And uh, those were my middle school years. But when I got to high school, even with all the training that I was doing, following the bodybuilding stuff, I did not have the sports skills. So to make a long story short, I experienced basically a lot of tough times through sports. I trained very hard but I trained the wrong way. And you could train as much as you want, as hard as you want, but if you're doing things the wrong way, you're just not gonna get the results. And that was the case with me, both physically and mentally. I had a really difficult time rebounding from setbacks. I was amassing injuries to my knees, my shoulders. So when I uh, got out of high school, essentially I had a lot of regret, a lot of pain from not succeeding. And, um, there was no internet to be known back then in the early 90s. So any information you would get would be from a, from a magazine, which did not have the info you needed to perform at a high level. You couldn't Google anything. You just you couldn't do those things. So my it's, learning came from pain and injury and setbacks. And, uh, you know, as you know, Dave, you speak a lot about time and hacking and kind of leveraging things. Well, Time is the one thing we never get back. It's the most valuable thing we all have. So my, you know, uh, life, you know, from those early years of competing, I live with the pain of regret of not succeeding. And when I got to college, I didn't have an opportunity to compete because they cut the wrestling program. So now when I'm training athletes and when I'm training people, I'm trying to get them to maximize their time, maximize their efforts so they don't look back and say, woulda, coulda, shoulda, or I wish I could have. So, you know, this morning, that's where I was up at Lehigh University and all around the world. We've got people reaching out to me because they're learning, like they learned from you that it, the bottom line is there's, there's a right way and a wrong way. There's a more powerful way to get things done. And why waste time 
doing it the wrong way. So my passion, my inspiration comes from, you know, that famous quote of the two pains in life. You have the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. So I utilize my experiences to, uh, sounds crazy, but I guess that's the teacher in me to kind of save others and get them to experience success. To me, that's just what keeps me going. It just fires me up. So, I mean, people who haven't really seen you, it's hard to tell what you look like. I, I've got your book here. You know, we I read through it. And you, and you tell your story pretty darn well. And, and it, there's some parallels there. When I was young and fat, you know, I, I was around 300 pounds or early 20s, right around that same timeline, um, would have been, I don't know, early 90s. I, I was at some coffee shop and I picked up a bodybuilding magazine. And, you know, back then, not a lot of people read those. Like if you read one, you were kind of a freak. Yes. Um, <laughs> So, you know, it's changed now. Your Muslim fitness is a mainstream magazine. But back then it was like, you know, what do you have? Like a bunch of tattoos and you probably have body piercings. And, you know, obviously you should be like beaten from the back of a pickup truck. At least <laughs> at least that's what Manteca was like when I lived in Manteca. So that's central California by Modesto and Stockton. And when I, I, I look at that, I read this magazine. They're like, carbs make you fat. I'm like, well, what the hell? I've been eating all these muffins because I wanted more energy. You know what, what's going on with this? And I lost like 50 pounds when I eliminated gluten and carbs accidentally just because gluten was in most carbs. And it was profound what happened. So that was kind of the beginning of this. Well, wait, like these bodybuilders know all this magic stuff. Uh, but on the other hand, there's all these anti-aging guys. And they know all this other stuff. And I got into that pretty early because I'm like, I should upgrade this. My body doesn't work that well anyway. Like my arthritis in my knees and I'm 14. That's kind of scary. So I started looking at, at those two things. And I realized that there wasn't much overlap. Like the guys are like, I'm going to get big. But like I said, they didn't perform well and they don't necessarily even live longer. They might live less long because they were injecting God knows what and their liver didn't like it. True. Right. So it's like, well, what's the overlap between the anti-aging crowd? Where I eat like sticks, you know, sticks and twigs and 40 calories a day. And I might live longer, I sure hope, but I'm really cold. You know, I'm, I'm making fun of you know, people I know and respect. So. <laughs> Uh, and on the other hand, you got this guy, you know, I can, you know, I, whatever, you know, I, I can fold you into an origami. And the overlap between them has becoming has been becoming closer and closer and closer over the past, whatever, 20 years. And that's kind of the space where I talk about biohacking. Like, okay, you want to look good and how good you want to look, that's up to you. And you want to live a long time. Exactly how long and how inflamed, that's up to you too. But the knowledge that we've gained from both of those, plus like extreme sports and military and all those, that's the core knowledge for biohacking. Yeah. What's so funny is when you're talking about the bodybuilding is that I essentially would grow up, grew up in the gyms. I would go and train and then I would do my homework. <laughs> I would do my homework at the gym. And I was mentored by a lot of those guys in the ways of how do you eat? How do you, how, how do you eat to get ripped, to get lean? How do you prepare for these bodybuilding competitions? Then there were the powerlifters about how do you train there were guys in there benching over 400 pounds, close to 500 pounds. How do you get this strong? And um, the way you could transform your body and naturally, because like you said, some of the people didn't do it naturally. And I remember people would say to me, there's no way, Zach, that you could train this hard and be natural. My mindset was trained from a wrestling background where we were trained to basically be top, you know, resistant to pain. You just it didn't bother you. It was just something that you almost chased versus avoided. And then the nutrition aspect, the discipline with tweaking carbohydrate intake, they did things like carbohydrate cycling. <clears throat> when I competed in my uh, teenage New Jersey competition, uh, we I went for six weeks of just eating turkey, broccoli, cauliflower, potatoes. 
but I must have lost 25 pounds in six weeks eating eight meals a day. I mean, I was eating a, a whole turkey a day. And my mom told me that every time she'd go to Costco to buy the turkey that she said the people would ask if she owned a restaurant. So <laughs> those days of learning that you could eat a lot, but change what kind of macronutrients you're pulling into your body can change the way you feel, can change the way you perform. So I looked great, but I felt like crap. And my <laughs> stomach was absolutely crushed when I finished the bodybuilding show and tried to have a little bit of carbs or a little bit of fat. My stomach did not know how to digest at that stuff at all. It was, it was brutal. So things have certainly changed through the years. But the, the biggest thing that I've always gotten from, from the training that I think everybody could benefit from is what it does for your mind. It, to me, you could, you could hit a wall when you are chasing just six-pack abs or I want bigger biceps or I want to appear a certain way. But what training does for the way you feel and for how it allows you to perform in life, the confidence it gives you, the strength it gives you to handle stressors in life. You know, what I say is you have kind of struggles in life. You turn, you learn through the hard work to turn obstacle into opportunity, struggle into strength. And that is something that I've noticed has disappeared in people. Because when you talk to people, especially you, Dave, you speak to people in many different realms, meaning you don't speak to them about just hacking in the way of energy or health or fitness, but you also do a lot of business consulting. And a lot of times we hear people say, it's too hard. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. It's because they haven't experienced, you know, struggle and how to overcome it. And that's where some hard work, some hard training benefits people. And we're so scared to work hard that it, it, it actually hurts people, not just you know, fitness-wise, but also in life. And that's where I try to really help people is that when you learn these lessons from hard training, you could apply them to life, to your relationships, to your health, and it's got a very positive impact. In the, the Bulletproof model, just the way of thinking, your body and your nervous system, they have all these, these warning bells that are completely wrong. So even your joints, like the proprioceptors will scream, I can't handle anymore. And, and they're set to like 20% of what they can actually handle. And you see these 100-pound mothers lift cars off their babies, and they don't get injured. And you're like, clearly the biology could handle more than it said it could handle. Like we know it's lying to you. Right. And, and a lot of training is just like whacking the body over, you know, over the top of the head saying, uh, you've got a lot more in there than you thought you did. So let's just raise that bar a little bit uh, right. to the point where you're still not going to be injured, but you might have to approach that. So almost everything, whether it's different forms of dieting, whether it's a bulletproof diet, cyclical ketogenic approach with low toxins or whether, heck, you know, you're going to do a vegan cleanse. It, it, it doesn't really matter. What's going on there is there needs to be some change. You need to push some limits. Otherwise, if you're not pushing limits, the body doesn't really change. And it's the same with lifting heavy things. It's the same with studying. Like if it doesn't hurt a little bit or at least cause discomfort or what you perceive as pain, you're probably not getting that much out of it, which is why when I see like, you know, overweight people going for a walk at lunch to lose weight, it's like... <laughs> There's probably a better way. In fact, I'm sure there is. There's a better way. It takes a little bit. Takes a little bit of a little bit more effort. But everything is like what you said. Is not so much. It doesn't have to be extreme. It's just so much. Go that extra inch. Find that little bit of extra that actually uh, amounts in a larger return of results. Like 
you and I, before we started recording, we were kind of talking about when <clears throat> my early days of teaching. And I tell this to everybody that, that connects with me on business. They say, like, well, how do you get so much work done? How do you get all this work done? I say, I basically wake up one hour before anybody or any dog in my house or anything is creeping or crawling. And that one hour, I just maximize a lot of work. And it's the same thing with my training is that I've just learned to get more work done in less time or kind of what you were saying about the, the mindset, the mentality behind it is I expose myself to a higher level, not just of exercise, but being around higher level thinkers. For example, when people are going to go to your Bulletproof conference, they're going to leave and they're going to start taking more action with the Bulletproof diet. They're going to start taking more action because they were around higher level thinkers. Yeah. If somebody hung out with a group of Navy SEALs, you would suddenly start questioning yourself that you'd say, wow, I'm not, not really working that hard after what they just told me they experienced and they were still able to do it. And that's kind of the ways I look at things is that you want to leverage everything that you possibly can, whether it's the people that you're around, you want to learn from them to inspire you more. You want to leverage your time. You want to leverage your resources. And when you find out how to do that, your results whether it's in health, whether it's mindset, whether it's success in business, life, family, they get that much better. And it's not so much doing a lot more. It's sometimes just do one inch more in that same amount of time frame. What do you think about stress inoculation? And for people listening, stress inoculation is something that you will, you would do with SWAT teams and whatnot, where, uh, or military, especially special forces you, like in basic training, even expose people to extreme levels of, of stress, show them that they can perform at those levels. So then when they're exposed to that stress again, they already have an innate knowledge that they can do that. Um, is this a good thing for you know non-combat people? And, and is it a good thing for kids? It's huge and it's beneficial in, in so many ways. This morning I woke up at 4.30 a.m. And when I do things that are quote unquote challenging, <clears throat> It doesn't really negatively affect me because I look back all the way to my earliest years. I started wrestling at age 13 and our coaches taught us that hard work is good for you. Hard work will help you succeed. So when I do that, my mindset is that this really isn't that hard or talk about uh, military and SWAT. Two years ago, I went through a 12 hour Navy SEAL challenge. A friend of yours organized it, Mark Devine. He's a good friend of mine. Yep, great guy. Sorry, I, I love Mark, but that, the porn star name, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, second time I said that on the air. <laughs> I never even thought of that. That is definitely a porn star. <laughs> He's such to, a cool guy. He could, he could take that joke. <laughs> I won't be the guy that would tell Mark he took the wrong path. <laughs> so um, he uh, helped organize a 12-hour challenge. They do longer challenges, but that 12-hour challenges, that 12-hour challenge that I went through two years ago, it remains like part of my mind and my body that when things are hard, I kind of go back to the 12 hours of we didn't really have, uh, we barely ate that day. We weren't supposed to be able to continue going. I mean, my body was cramping all over, but your body, the body was still able to keep running, doing push-ups, pull-ups carrying a log, I mean, going in the cold water, it was able to do all those things. So it's important that when you train, you kind of do these optimal workouts, optimal workouts, and maybe once a week, maybe even every other week, 
heck, it could maybe even be once a month. Or as I'm mentioning to you, I went through kind of a tough crucible two years ago. Those things kind of remain ingrained in your mind because they're so powerful and effective that they carry you on. Now, should younger kids go through these things? They don't have to do a 12-hour challenge, but what if younger kids in physical education go through a little bit more of a challenging routine? A lot of things in physical education is we have them waiting on lines. We're afraid if they keep score. When I was a teacher, one of the kids fell off of the monkey bars, and the first thing the principal said was, we're removing all monkey bars. Oh, good God. Right. Another kid had gotten injured during recess. Our school did not have a um, like a, a field in the backyard. So they the police would block off the street. The kids would play. A kid fell down, got hurt. And then from then on, the kids were ne- not allowed to run. So what we're doing is, wow, I don't want to harp or I hate doing that kind of preacher thing. But we all know that when you stop taking risk and you kind of ingrain yourself in fear, you become so scared to do anything daring or anything worthy of of accomplishment in your life that you become what I call, quote unquote, normal, quote unquote, average. You're a clock puncher. You're going to go to work and you're going to do exactly what's on the you know job requirements. You're not going to stay late. You're not going to come in early. You're not going to go above and beyond. You're not going to try to climb the ladder. You're not going to try to have more an impact. You're going to keep everything, you know, the same. You're, you're just not going to try to live a great life. And I think when we challenge ourselves, you build an inner confidence. Some people call it an inner warrior, a warrior spirit. But you simply build a confidence that you are capable of doing greater things in life. And I think to take that away from kids is it's scary because we don't want to have a future where kids don't believe in themselves and even adults. We see it today. They, they lack the confidence to want to share their skills, to share you know, a gift that they had. And that was a big thing for me. I was extremely shy and scared of the world when I was young, but I felt very confident in the gym. I felt comfortable and I felt in my realm when I heard weights dropping. And when I got to college, I remember I was terrified to speak in front of people, but I, I enrolled in, in the you know health and physical education, which meant all of my classes were going to have a lot of presentations, standing up in front of people. So I just started taking a simple risk, you know, doing that one inch more. So anytime it was an opportunity to present the project, I raised my hand first because I said to myself, you need to get used to being a little bit nervous. And then I found myself harnessing that nervous energy And I started getting just not nervous speaking in front of people. And today I could speak in front of several thousand people and it doesn't, I have a little bit of nerves, but I'm not sweating. I'm not freaking out. I'm extremely calm. I don't really, I don't look off of really bullet points or PowerPoint. I'm able to just go. And when you face those fears in life, regardless of the age, they stay with you. You become stronger for life and that stuff it's one of the biggest gifts in the world because that's what allows people like you and I or some of the people, all the people really that you interview on Bulletproof Radio, if they never harnessed fear, if they never challenged themselves, what would they do? They wouldn't wouldn't be out there writing books trying to inspire the world. And that's why it's okay to harness. I just simply say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
It's just little things. You don't feel like exercising that day? Do five squats, five push-ups, and you just broke through. It doesn't mean you have to work out for an hour. Do something little to break through, and those things add up. Well, so I, I'm down with everything you're saying, but I want to tell you a story. When I was uh, I don't know, a young man, I had three knee surgeries. Funny, we have that in common too. And after the last one, or second to the last, after the second one, they put a screw in and it took like a long time to heal. And it, it was just horrible pain of getting a screw in your bone is something you don't, really don't want to do. And so I worked out six days a week, an hour and a half a day. I'm like, I'm going to lose this hundred pounds. Like I'm, you know, I'm going to do everything in, in my power. And I ended up you know, pushing myself, I, I totally whacked my adrenals. <laughs> like, um, I never did lose the weight, even though I got strong and fat, I was still fat. And uh, like my health actually wasn't that good. And, and finally, the first time I decided I was going to go do something fun that might expose my knee to risk, I played laser tag and I blew my ACL and damaged the cartilage again and went back in for my third surgery. So there's a certain point where you're like, all right, you want to teach people discomfort, like, okay, I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. I know I'm safe. I know I'm not going to die at some neurological level, so my, my biology yep. will behave. But especially when you're a teenager, and especially if you're a teenage boy, you are basically almost wired to you know, like blow out all of your joints and tear all of your muscles and run your head into brick walls over and over because you're going to push your limits and you don't know where they are yet because how would you know, right? You know, the limits you had last year aren't the limits you have this year. So you're, you're seeking the edge. How do you keep kids from just injuring themselves the way I did? Kids have to be strong. When your body gets hurt, your body has basically ways of telling you you're doing too much. This isn't right. And there's times where you break through. And then the, when you do it the wrong time, you break down. So like you mentioned, I've also had three knee surgeries. And it's from the body being trained the wrong way and trained beyond what your body's ready for. Mentally... I wanted to keep training and yeah. go beyond that. But physically, my body was broken down from training the wrong way. And when you do things the wrong way, you could do – it's the bottom line is you have to do things the right way. So young athletes, if they're not strong, they're going to get injured. And that's really the number one goal behind a training program for a younger athlete who's competing is we want to get their tendons, their ligaments strong so they're less likely to get hurt. If you're hurt – you're unable to compete, and there goes all your work that you put into it. Kids nowadays, I, I feel bad for them because there's so much stuff for them to be kind of inundated with. You know, back when you and I grew up, there was nothing except, you know, a few magazines that were wrong. Now, there's so much information out there, they just can't, they don't know what's right, they don't know what's wrong, they're being pulled in a million and one directions. Younger kids, need a lot of basic work. They need bodyweight exercises. They need to learn basic, you know, gymnastics so they have body awareness. And they need exercises that are not complicated, simple to teach, easy to learn, that have a very powerful return on results. So there, so, there are a bunch of teenagers who are listening to this right now who are hearing that going, yes. okay, let's, let's say I buy this. Like, like yes. what do I do? Like, where do I go? So where would you recommend? Let's say you're 15 years old. You appreciate working out. You want to look good for the girls. Uh, or your 15-year-old girl, you want to look good for the boys or whatever else. But you know what it's like when you're a teenager, right? That, yes. That's a big part of what your brain is thinking about is, yes. is the opposite sex. So you're like, all right, I want to look good. I want to be healthy. I want to be strong. All those things that are just innate drives in all humans, but they're super strong when you're a teenager. So who do they call? Where do they go? Because honestly, I, I wish I would have had that when I was a kid. I just didn't. 
So uh, who do they trust? Who do they trust? You have to look at somebody's track record. You know, when I look at somebody, you know, when with uh, today's day and age, we train a lot of young athletes at our gym and parents will kind of go to the coach that's closer to the coach that fit, that's $50 cheaper. So for the kids that are listening, for the parents that are listening, you want to find a coach that has a proven track record, especially a coach that takes weaker in, you know, athletes that lack confidence, don't have really experienced success, and that that coach has helped them transform themselves, not just physically, but mentally. And if you're nowhere near those things, then you could never go wrong with bodyweight exercises. You know, there's a big story of how Herschel Walker would exercise. He would do a lot of his bodyweight exercises during commercials on TV. But first thing we do when an athlete comes in is they go through a bodyweight warm-up, and that's our assessment. We could see, can they do bodyweight squats, lunges, push-ups? Can they do basic exercises for their stomach muscles? Do they get fatigued during the warm-up? And these are not just 15-year-olds, but 16, 17-year-olds. They get extremely fatigued during the basic exercises. So there has to be a foundation built before they move on to doing something at a higher level. So today I was at working with the Lehigh University wrestling team. These are Division One wrestlers, some of the best in the country. In fact, some of them are all Americans. The ones that were uh, not used to me, that were inexperienced at training, they were crushed during the warm-up. Those are 19, 20, 21-year-olds, yet our well-trained 15-year-olds can crush that warm-up. So wow. they have a high level of sports skill, but a very low level of strength and power and basically physical conditioning skill. So the, the foundation is always you must Get great at the bodyweight exercises, squatting, lunging, push-ups, pull-ups, sprinting up hills, um, stair climbs, all the basics. And the exercises that work the most are still the old school basics. I have a, a large pile of old magazines from the 50s and 60s. Back then, the magazine was called, appropriately, Strength and Health. Because you, I love it because, or health and strength, you can't separate you. If you truly want optimal strength and health, you shouldn't separate them. And they have a lot of basic barbell, basic dumbbell exercises, and bodyweight exercises. Nothing fancy, nothing complicated. So when I, what I tell coaches also is I say, if you're trying to wow people with fancy stuff and how flashy the exercises are, that's the sign of an amateur. The expert, kind of Bruce Lee said this, is there's beauty and power in simplicity, in the basics. They don't need to really impress the younger athletes out there, males, females, they need to get great at bodyweight exercises. We wanna see kids being able to do 10 pull-ups, 50 bodyweight squats in a row, 40 push-ups in a row, full range of motion. And they don't necessarily need to do a workout. What I tell our athletes is I go, the days that you're not here, I go, after you take a shower, I want you to do 10 squats, 10 push-ups, 10 lunges. Come home from school. Do that again. And then do that one more time in the evening. And then I say, when you're at school, if you pass by a pull-up bar, do a couple of reps of perfect technique. And that technique is, it's, you know, the term is called grease the groove. You're simply practicing the bodyweight exercise. You're not exhausting yourself. You're just doing it at perfect form. And you get extremely strong doing that. And that's what strength is. It's a skill. They learn the technique. They practice it the same way you would practice 
learning a language when you're new to it. You do it throughout the day. So doing two perfect form pull-ups isn't really going to grow muscle unless that's really pushing a limit for you. But it's going to grow your nervous system and it's going to grow your form, which is going to make you stronger, but not necessarily bigger is what you're saying. Yeah, if you wanted to get bigger, there's two things really that need to be in play. You need a certain amount of volume. You need to do repetition work. So you would have to do multiple sets. You'd have to keep them together and you would have to increase your protein a little bit. A lot of people say you don't need that. But if you're trying to put on the size, especially that younger generation, their metabolism is flying. It could get away with it. Things work differently when you're younger compared to when you start getting a little bit older. Your metabolism changes. But uh, getting stronger is your first step towards adding muscle. So practicing the exercises throughout the day will help people get stronger. And it will help build a little bit of muscle. But if you want to you know, build up the muscle, you'll require a little bit more volume. More volume. And I'm assuming that they might want to eat differently. Let's talk about that. All right, sure. so, so I'll assume that the adults listening to this have probably figured out eating junk food probably isn't that good for them, and they, they can feel a difference. But when you're under about 24, most of the time your mitochondria have not been whacked by life and by mistreatment. I mean, yep. I look at the stuff I used to eat, and squeezed margarine was actually supposed to be healthier than butter. So I'm getting, like, really <laughs> inflammatory margarine and clogging up my cells. I, I'm just eating the worst of the worst because we didn't know any better. I mean, my parents were actually health conscious. They just you read what it says in Reader's Digest or whatever, and then, like, that's what you do. Wheat bran, yeah, bring it on, right? So that a lot of my problems stemmed from just complete misunderstanding. But I had my share of pizza and Burger King and McDonald's, you know, several nights a week. It was easy. It was cheap. It was, it was food. So... I've actually done some work with uh, uh, Peter Thiel's uh, foundation, the 20 Under 20. And this is 20 just really amazing young people who are not going to college. Instead, they're funded to start companies. And they're looking to mine asteroids and change our genes. Awesome. Awesome stuff, right? And these are kids who who just don't have fear. They're not really kids. they're, They're young adults. But they just don't have the fear that would come. And I sat down with all 20 of them, and I gave a talk about food and fully... I don't know, a third of them were like, that's all BS. There's no science backing up that healthy food isn't healthier, like calories a calorie, and I can eat whatever I want, and I can drink all night, and it doesn't matter. So there. And then other ones like emailed me later, like, Dave, I can't believe my brain works. I can focus all day. Oh, my God, it's amazing. So people would try it. They wouldn't try it, whatever. But that natural ability to just like basically, you know, you could probably eat motor oil when you're a kid. What's your advice or what's your take on that? Why is it that way, and what should – young people do when they want to remain vigorous and strong or even get stronger and vigorous? Like what's the basic rules that you, that you would yes. say give to a coaching client? I love this question. And then I'll follow it up with how I changed things when I got into my mid twenties and you'll love it because it was a, it was a hack of how my body changed in probably a week. So the first thing I do is I don't go extreme with these younger athletes. And when I say athlete, I look at everybody. I don't say you're competing in this sport. You're an athlete. You don't compete. You're just an entrepreneur. Or you're or you're you know a mom, dad. You're not. I look at everybody as an athlete. The whole picture. The younger ones, you know, I've I've listened to nutritionists speak to them, and they'll say things like, if you're going to have cereal, skim milk. If you're going to eat chicken, take the skin off the chicken. These are nutritionists <laughs> with probably graduate degrees. So here's what I tell them. I go, I go. We're going to go with one rule. Stop buying the school lunch. And you have to eat breakfast, pack your own lunch, and eat dinner, whatever mom makes. 
Once they start getting into that kind of basic premise of consistency with a breakfast, lunch, dinner, and they're, and they're not eating the school lunch, I say, now what I want you guys to do is try to have a salad a day and have protein on it. Something simple like that. If they say, oh, I don't like salad, then I tell them, then just have some broccoli. It's okay to throw a little bit of cheese on there, throw some butter on there. Their bodies, like you're saying, at that younger age are not, they don't have, some do. They don't have this gluten intolerance and everybody's stomach is killing them and all this stuff. It's certainly different from when I was younger. You never had, 50, you never had like 50% of the class with a peanut in, intolerance. You know, and I personally, I just don't trust food nowadays. When I was in younger, I never remember kids saying, my mom has cancer, my dad has cancer, my uncle, my aunt. You just didn't hear that stuff today. You hear this stuff all the time. And as a father, I just don't trust the food that's coming anywhere outside of something that I know where it's coming from on a farm. It's tough. So for the younger ones, I try to, once they start kind of dialing in, no school lunch, pack your own lunch. When I say pack your own lunch, I say, if you're going to get lunch meats, then you're going to get store baked meat. So you're going to stay away from the stuff that's loaded. And some of the stores do have natural turkey so it's not going to be loaded with as much crap as as really not, not as much but man <laughs> not as much but still bad so yeah. we're not going fully extreme yeah, you don't have to be crazy it's way better and that whole idea of, of if you know don't be perfect just know the direction of perfect and just kind of wobble in that direction inch, you inch it little yeah. by little and that's how these big changes start to come and then they start thriving and embracing the fact that you know what this is awesome. I'm starting to feel strong. My energy is greater. So breakfast, if they're normally saying, I always have cereal, I always have cereal, I go, well, what you're going to do now is you're going to have two scrambled eggs and try to have like a side of pork roll or bacon. Then things start to change. Or if they tell me I don't have time, I go to the deli. And I say, then you go to the deli and you ask them for scrambled, you go scrambled eggs and bacon. You just get it as a platter. So they start making these small changes that actually make a huge difference to them the first difference would be acne right oh the the <laughs> i see this a lot the skin of some of young kids is in a really really bad shape and it's amazing how the the parents still are i don't know if it's that i take for granted the fact that i'm exposed to learning from people like you from kelly starette that i think everybody's learning from them so parents are still kind of feeding their kids in these quick ways, here's your $3 to buy school lunch. There's tons of food in a box and in a plastic wrapper. So we start trying to get them to move away from those things. And it gets, it's like little by little it adds up. I say, okay, a red light food is anything that's kind of in a box or, or in, in a wrapper. Green light food is something that's not. You guys aren't going to find that. They start to embrace and they develop, I feel it's a mental toughness. They start embracing and thriving on eating healthier because it makes them feel better. It makes them feel stronger. Then here and there, they go back and they eat. Let's say they go and eat a bagel with whatever. They're like, my stomach's killing me. I feel like shit all day. I go, there you go. Now you they kind of <laughs> associate the pain with eating like crap. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is when, when I was in my uh, teens, except for the bodybuilding times, and then leading up until about 24, I used to, oh, like my lunch would always be two turkey sandwiches. My breakfast was always eight egg whites, you know, and, and uh, I laugh at that stuff. And then I remember 
I was about, I was a second year teacher. And I remember saying to myself, like, you know, I'm not really making any progress. I'm not building muscle. I don't look like I'm getting better. I've hit a plateau. I've hit a wall. So I said, I'm going to cut out all bread, milk, dairy. Yep. I did that. And I remember like a week, week and a half later, I remember being at the gym with a tank top. People were like, holy shit, dude, are you getting ready for another bodybuilding show? My muscles and my body filled out and I got leaner by eating more and simply by cutting out the, the, the sandwiches and uh, I was drinking milk, eating cereal. So around that age 24, your body starts to say, this stuff, we're done with it. It's not going to work for us. It's not good anymore. And that's probably also around the time, this is like 99, 2000, when the foods were being tampered with much, much more. Yeah. They started getting tampered with much more at that time than they were in the 80s where we could drink milk and it was a little less you know, dangerous. So things changed. And I, I'll never forget how quick my body changed in that one week. And I also stopped listening to everybody else around me. You know, I was a natural and am a natural lifter. And everybody was training what you said about six days a week, three days in a row, one day off. I started training every other day. But the day after I would do squats or deadlifts, I took two days off. And I woke up my body and it was a bodybuilding split. So a lot of people listening, if they're CrossFitters, they don't do that. But I was training my whole body once every nine to 11 days. And I was getting stronger. And I'll never forget the gym owner. I was at a pretty high-level bodybuilding gym. I remember he passed me by and he said, holy shit. And I said, you know what I stopped doing? I said, I stopped listening to everybody here. I said, I always noticed that on the second day, my motivation was a little bit down to train. So I said, I will only train when I feel like it. So train a day, take a day off. Uh, And then anything after like a squatting or deadlifting day, I took two days off. And uh, I remember people were like, how big do you want to get? And I said, I don't really train that much. (laughs) And I was getting my most gains. And that's called auto regulation, meaning some people could handle high volume of work, high stress. But if you're not that kind of person, then you want to learn to work to what your body needs. And that takes time. That's like being your own scientist. That takes time to learn. But you basically want to leave the gym before you're done. And that goes for the younger athletes listening to the CrossFitters who tend to, to beat their body up. Don't be afraid to rest. It's yeah. um, kind of a thing that we don't like to talk about, especially, you know, me with my background and, and you know, going through the Navy SEAL experience and, and having that wrestling background. But a lot of our athletes train twice a week. Some of them train three days a week. And we've got kids that are going to division one schools. They're being all state, all American amongst thousands of competitors. And uh, people would assume they train six days. And what we do is we train two days a week, some of them three, and I match the training according to their personality trait. If they're aggressive, I move more hard work with them. So if you're listening to this, whether, you know, you're a young person in school or you're a busy, you know, adult doing whatever it is you're doing, if your assumption is that you're a good person because you're working out six days a week, like (laughs) I certainly changed my my habits. Uh, What you want to actually work on doing is recovering six days a week. And, yeah, you can exercise on the same day you recover. But the more exercise you have, the more recovery you need. 
And if you exercise really, really hard two, three times a week, um, then you're going to spend the rest of your time like, All right, what do I do today to recover? Do I meditate? Do I eat more? Do I get more sleep? And it is kind of amazing what you can do. The hard part, though, is, all right, let, let's say you're in a, a high school sports thing. At least if, if I remember when I played soccer back in the day, uh, we had practice I think every night or four nights a week or something like that. And then on weekends, we had games. So I was getting, you know, five good hours of exercise there. Uh, our, yes. our PE coaches and, you know, college and, and high school level coaches sabotaging themselves by over-exercising their kids or by pushing them too hard. We, if we wonder why, like, the rate of ACL injury tears, especially amongst girls, has risen something like 400% in 10 years. Now, why are kids getting injured more? In a nutshell, for the parents and coaches listening, nobody cares if Johnny's a state champ or the little league champ at age 7, 10, 12, or even 15. There used to be no terms. I always say back when you and I were young, there was no such thing as little leaguer's elbow or tennis elbow. Today, we have baseball in the fall, baseball in the spring. We have basketball year-round. We have all these clubs. But the most dominant you know, sports and the most dominant athletes, especially from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, were a lot of the overseas athletes because they built up a foundation. They did a variety of sports. They did gymnastics, weightlifting. If you were a swimmer, you still did gymnastics. You still lifted weights. If you were a wrestler, you were out during the winter doing cross-country skiing. You play all different sports. But today, we don't do that. If I was a coach running any, especially high school, when you do the six days a week and you're competing, I would have training that would go high intensity, lower, up and down, up and down. Before a big event, we would deload and do less training. And that's basically the art of coaching. So, yes, harder, harder, harder. You know, it beats them up, and what happens is they burn out before it's time to compete at the end of the season when it's time to try to qualify for championship events. There's a method out there called the high-low method where the Russians popularized it, where you never train hard two days in a row. And if you consider that workout medium, it gets categorized as high. So you would go high-low, high-low, or high-low, day off, and – Here's a real interesting story. If we wanted to really go at an extreme of the other end, a kid came to me. I had known him since he was younger. He was burnt out with wrestling because it was all the time, all the time. He didn't even want to wrestle senior year. He was a very high-level wrestler. I said, do me a favor. I go, I know what everybody else is doing. They come home from practice. They go and run three to five miles. They go to the wrestling club. I mean, these kids are putting in about 24 hours of training a week on top of starving themselves. So I said, here's what you can do. Yes, it's insane. I said, go to practice. Don't run. Don't go to a club. I said, come and lift here. I'll be have you in and out in 15 to 20 minutes. He did that before the middle of the season tournament. He didn't train. And then at the end of the season, there's about two weeks during the qualifying tournaments. He stopped training. Each workout would be three exercises. We'd warm up for a few minutes. We'd train hard for 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> then we'd cool down for five minutes. And he's got the record at the school for the most wins. He took fourth in the state. But if I would have said, you need to train harder, you need to train more, you see, he was already exhausted. For him to get stronger and more explosive and more confident, he had to feel better. And the way we did that was by training less. And yeah. Sometimes the parents are confused because they're like, oh, 
we're paying you to train him for an hour. I say, training is done when it's done, not, you know, train longer, train harder. When I was in graduate school, I trained twice a week. I would train Tuesday and Sunday because those were the only days I could sneak in a workout. And I was getting stronger. And I remember saying to myself, how little can we do to just like maximize the training? And that all those experiences taught me how to train people in these manners. So should a coach push people six days a week hard? What a coach should do is they should train year round using body weight workouts, basic free weight exercises, but they should have high, low, high, low every probably six to eight weeks, give them a week off. So they're excited to come back and to want to come back and train during the season. What you need to do is pay careful attention to when the uh, games and the competition is and don't always do two and a half hour practices. Maybe one day is an hour and a half practice. Maybe the next day is 45 minutes of just light skill work. Maybe the third day could be off or it could be a very hard day, but you're going to go kind of up and down with those intensity levels. That's the art of coaching. And coaches have to educate themselves. They need to get away from the, you know, the old school ways of thinking. There's a lot of egos with coaches because they're afraid that somebody else is going to come in and change things. But here's the bottom line. You know, as a parent, I'm saying it's not as a coach and as a teacher, but kids don't get to go back for a second chance to, you know, live their potential. A lot of athletes don't compete in college or beyond. Some of them, you know, thanks to guys like Joe DeSena doing Spartan Race and all these competitions, we can go back. But there's something about those earlier years. And the the best way to do it is to train and treat all those athletes as individuals. And uh, how will you get there? If you genuinely care, you will research. You will listen to the Bulletproof Radio. You'll listen to the different coaches You'll go out and find ways to treat all these athletes differently. So, you know, today while I'm training that Division One wrestling team, this guy needs mental toughness work. He, he got a little bit of a different training protocol. This guy, he doesn't need the intensity. He doesn't thrive on that. So he gets a little bit more of a calmness. And there's a lot. Everybody's different. So training has to match personalities. It has to match their physical preparation. So kids are getting hurt because – they're being put into all one program, and that's not going to work for them. Right. It's just going to work against them. I, I, I sure wish that I'd had some of this knowledge uh, when I was a young man. And the same with the stuff that I write about. I When I started blogging, like maybe just like 20 people will not go through all the pain of all the knee surgeries and all the inflammation and being obese and all that stuff. Like maybe just a, a few of those would be helpful. And I'm, I'm amazed how many people actually care about this. And to hear a guy who was successful as a teenager and is still successful – uh, you know, you're strong, you're a successful business person talking about the same stuff, not same, but a similar vein to what uh, Doug McGuff just talked about on a, on a show in the last couple of days, body by science, same thing, work out less, work out really, really well, uh, and then recover like a maniac. And whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult, you're going to imp- increase how you look, you're going to increase your performance. And I would say as an anti-aging nonprofit kind of guy, you'll probably live longer too, because the biological stress you put yourself under is hormetic stress, the kind, the kind that causes positive growth versus stress that you can't handle, which is the kind that causes negative growth. Now, there's two more questions that I want to ask you before we run up on the end of the show. The first one is, tell me about 
your underground strength gem. Tell me how it works and also mention where you are. Cause I imagine that there's some people in your area who would love to work with you directly, but uh, just kind of what's different with your approach in your facility uh, and where is it? Yeah. So I'm in New Jersey. We've got two locations. One is Edison, New Jersey, which is a bit central or a little bit north. It's near Rutgers University. And then the other one is in a small town called Manasquan, which is the Jersey Shore. <laughs> so uh, two different places, about 45 minutes away. But it started when uh, probably my fourth year, the summer before my fourth year teaching, right after ACL surgery, I said, you know, I'm going to be a man on a mission and I'm going to help athletes avoid these knee surgeries, my shoulder, uh, I had a, sh- a pretty severe shoulder tear. My lower back was always injured. I said, I'm going to change these kids. And I always trained at a traditional gym, a bodybuilding gym. And I looked great. But like we said earlier, I just did not perform well. I was confused. Why am I always tired? Why am I always injured? Why is my mind, you know, always, you know, can't fight back against these fleeting thoughts of when I'm fatigued? So I started training athletes out of my parents' house. I had a bar, a 300-pound barbell set and two sets of dumbbells. I started training them with the free weights, but then I started taking them into the backyard to use stones. And we started doing stone workouts, kind of like training like they were on a farm. And I would take them to the playground and have them move like animals. They would climb up and down the swing sets. They would jump on and off the picnic tables. They would press the picnic tables. I only had two kids that first summer. One was a basketball player. One was a wrestler. The basketball player started, he was never able to slam dunk the ball. In a few weeks, he was dunking the ball. He became team captain. He started getting recruited by colleges. The wrestler, who had lost to a couple high-level kids, two or three weeks later was beating them. So I started saying there's more to this training than just the physical. It's It's the mental that they get from it, the confidence. So fast forward a few years, I'm running my quote-unquote, underground strength gym for my garage out of my first house, training them in my garage, training them in the backyard using tree logs, stones, climbing ropes, pushing my truck across the empty parking lots when schools are closed. They were getting phenomenal results with this kind of no-rules training. I wasn't really following the perfect workout. I was following what each kid needed. And um, that progressed and evolved into the first underground strength gym, and it's got all different training tools, but it's not so much the tools, you know, because now I opened that first gym seven years ago, the first warehouse gym. It had tires, kegs, sleds for dragging, pushing. Everybody has those things, but it's not the tools that make it. It's how you put those things together. For example, probably a lot of people drink coffee, but why doesn't everybody get the same results? It's there's a specific way to do things. So our training uh, is for all athletes. We've got a lot of adult men that come as well. And when the men come in, the training is not just geared for they want to lose fat, but it's for them to get tougher in life, to get stronger in life. So the training is a blend of the physical and the mental. And to me, that's the most powerful thing because getting big biceps and all that stuff is easy. But developing your body and your mind as one to create a successful life, to live a strong life is the most, it's just the most awesome thing. And when I see our athletes go on to colleges and succeed, and then after college, they're successful adults to me, there's, to me, that's awesome. We've had kids, it just blows my mind. They're weak. 
They're under 90 pounds. They don't win any, they don't win matches. They don't succeed. And then they start training with us. They build confidence. They build strength. And, and then that's like their parents, their parents cry. Their parents cry because they see the success that their kid have. When I see that, I say to myself, that's, that's why I do this. You know, I work with a lot of high level people, Dave. I work with division one athletes with the book coming out. I'm going to be working with some pretty high level military. And, um, people always ask me, you've got this thriving internet business. You've got all, you know, you're making a lot of money doing these things. They say to me, why do you even, why do you have a gym? I live for that. I live for helping the kid that was weak, that never won, that doesn't succeed to me. You know, my goal one day is all this internet and all the seminars take off to a point where I just train all these kids for free. You know, yeah. I just, it, it becomes their safe haven where they're, they're able to come and train with me for free because there is, you know, there are certainly some people that can't afford to do it. And, uh, to me, the biggest thing is the changes I give to this younger generation. That's what I love. In my experience, all the, the most successful health entrepreneurs, uh, they're not motivated by money. Uh, it, it's about how do I help the most people? And it, it's funny. If you can afford to fly somewhere and give a talk, it helps you to help more people. Sure. So it, it's uh, one of those things where, where you're working, working to change the world to make it better. And uh, all the people that I admire the most are motivated that way about helping others, not about, you know, give me another, you know, another buck here and there. It's not what it's about. Change. So, it's just powerful. So now we're running up on the end of the show. So give people your URL. Your book looks sure. something like this, right? Yeah, <laughs> if, you're watch, if you're watching on YouTube or iTunes, you can actually sort of see it. I'm holding it up here. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's a good book. You, you tell the story, too, about, you know, how you went from, you know, the, the serious, you know, how do I have big muscles to how do I function well? And, you know, you've had amazing success in training people. So um, what's the URL? And then I'm going to ask you the final question. Sure. The uh, URL is undergroundstrengthbook.com, or you'll probably have a link below uh, your video. Yep. They could check that out. And, um, they could, you know, they could find that and also, uh, you know, I'm easily found on social, awesome. any of the social networks. And the final question is, since you listen to the podcast, you've probably heard it, but your top three recommendations for people who want to perform better at everything, not just picking up heavy stuff or kicking ass or whatever, but you know, yes. you, you want to perform well everywhere in life. Yeah. What are they? So, um, the, these are like the top three hacks. Number one for getting stuff done is, uh, wake up an hour early or set aside one hour of time throughout the day where there's just no one or no thing can interrupt you. And um, I learned that a long time ago when I heard uh, Dan Kennedy speak about a very successful uh, entrepreneur. And he said that that man said that his most powerful part of his day was when he would escape and he would go to some little shack that he had somewhere near a river and he would play cassette tapes of, he called it head trip stuff. Stuff that was um, that would get like Napoleon Hill stuff that would get his mind in the right place. So have an hour of your day that is for you, whether it's to do work or to work on your mind, work on your body. Give yourself that hour. For me, I wake up an hour early and I get a, I get a ton of work done. Uh, number two, and this has been spoken about a lot with you, is that things change when you start to get a little bit older, and you should really value sleep. And there's certainly times like during this stuff with all the book where I'm not sleeping as much and it takes days 
to get back into that groove to be able to be to be high functioning. And number three, this one is sometimes tough for people, but it's uh, who do you surround yourself with? You could hack your way, you know, into surrounding yourself, going to the Bulletproof Conference. Last weekend, I held a mastermind up in Vermont at Joe DeSena's place. We had 15 coaches. Two of them were Navy SEALs. And in those two days, people's lives were changed because of who they surrounded themselves with. When you're around people that think kind of what we spoke about earlier, like normal, you start to feel awkward when you're pushing to achieve high levels of success. So hang around people that are high level thinkers. And if you can't find those people, then what you do is you leverage it by listening to podcasts, reading powerful books, things that will inspire you. You know, some basic things that I always do is since I was in my early 20s, I always set a goal. I said, you're going to read two pages every night. You know, the first book that really changed my life was Tony Robbins, um, Awaken the Giant Within. And yep. saying read two pages every night is like saying floss two teeth. You continue reading and you go to sleep with powerful thoughts versus going to sleep with stress or being unhappy or unsatisfied. So my three things are, um, you know, taking really taking care of the sleep, controlling who you're around, and if you can't control the people you're around, control the information that you're taking in through books, through podcasts, and have an hour a day to give yourself the success. Hour in the morning, getaway, midway, during your lunch. I always did that once I started learning the power of this. So when I was a teacher, you know, I rarely went out to lunch with the other teachers. I worked or I listened to motivational things. I would listen to The Secret over and over again. And it put my mind in a powerful place because I was surrounded by people that would say, you're working too hard. Stay here. You need this. You need that. You need health insurance. They were kind of, you know, you're in that normal realm. And it helped me expand my way of thinking. And that will help people succeed at a much greater level. Great advice. Uh, thanks again. It's uh, it's great to have you on the show, Zach. Uh, once again, awesome. everyone, Zach Evanish. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person one of these days. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dave. One of my favorite sources of protein is upgraded collagen protein. This is a pre-digested form of collagen that comes from grass-fed cows. For people who are looking at resetting their leptin levels, one of the tricks to do that is to have 30 grams of protein in the morning. So the way to modify your Bulletproof coffee is to make it the way you would, ideally with brain octane oil, and then add about four tablespoons of the upgraded collagen protein to it. When you do that, you'll end up feeling a huge difference. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. 
opinions of guests are their own and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.